welcome to another OK Boomer episode. Uh, you've got the two regulars here. I'm David Knight, and we have John McLean from Sydney, Australia. And it's both our pleasure to welcome Mr. Mark Allen, a.k.a. The Grip, um, who was an inspiration to, to many, many athletes who uh, jumped on the Ironman course and got the privilege of being over in Kona. But Mark, welcome today. It's great to have you. Hey, great to be on, guys. Good to see you. Uh, Virtually, in any case, you know, it's about as, as yeah. much as I was able to get these days. So, yeah, it's been a while. Um, I had the pleasure of uh, doing the induction speech for John at the uh, Ironman Hall of Fame. And uh, I think there was there was quite a few parties there uh, with Lou Friedland and and the, the gang. So uh, it was great to great to meet you then. And uh, John, I know you're connected more with Mark because you're both world champions. I'm just a a hack from Sydney, Australia, that's living in Denver, Colorado right now. So, John, why don't you take it away? Yeah, um, Mark, thanks again for joining us. It's, it's a real privilege. As I kind of look back to my Ironman uh, journey in 1994 and Welshie, um, you know, first non-American to, to win, and I thought, wow, imagine maybe one day I, I, could, I could participate on that course and I was fortunate enough, as you know, in, in 95, 6 and 7 to, to race the course and, you know, to get an, an opportunity to meet uh, yourself uh, and then over time have that wonderful Nike connection with Clara Fanati, you recall. So here I am mm. thinking, wow, one, I want to do the sport of Ironman and imagine being on the same course on the same day as athletes like yourself. Um, and then also to have a Nike swoosh on as well was, uh, was a real privilege. So um, if we could maybe kick off, where, where did the nickname Grip come from? Can you, can you share that story with us? Yeah, you know, the grip. Um, there was a year early in my career where I was <clears throat> actually I'd made a big jump in, in my cycling. And you know, we did a lot of group rides together in San Diego where I was training in the winters. And uh, it was back in the days before aero bars, right? So everybody just had normal handlebars. And um, we'd go for these big group rides. And, you know, usually <clears throat> a lot of the guys just want to sit around and BS for 30 miles or 40 miles or a couple hours, or whatever. And it's like, you know, five minutes into it, I'm ready to go. And so I would just get down in the drops. And, and this one guy, Murphy Reintriver goes, uh Oh, he, he's got the grip. Hold on. You know, and <laughs> eventually just sort of became the grip was my name because they knew that when I got down in the drops, that was, it was time for the ride to take off. And, uh, you know, that year, especially I didn't wait too long into it. I was ready to rock and roll. So that's where that came from. And it kind of stuck, you know, and some people, that's the only thing they call me is the grip. And uh, other people, they have no idea who the grip is. So <laughs> you know them. That's yep. Yeah. And can you kind of share with us your uh, your early introduction into sport, and you know what were your interests, and how did that then lead you into the sport of triathlon? Yeah, you know when I was when I was a kid in, in 1968, I saw the Mexico City Olympics on television, and it was. It was the first time I'd ever seen the Olympics or any really big sporting event like that because, um, you know, I was 10 years old and there just weren't that many uh, sporting programs on TV and my parents weren't into sports or anything. So um, anyway, so I was watching the I was most mesmerized by the swimmers, especially the distance swimmers, because me as a 10 year old, I could barely get across the length of a pool before I felt like I was going to drop dead and drown, you know, so to go 25 meters was 
a near death experience for me. And so here are these swimmers and they're going back and forth and back and forth. You know, it was, uh, at the time it was 800 meters for the women and 1500 meters for the men back in the days before they didn't realize women can do the same distance as the guys. But anyway, um, shortly after that, there was a, an ad in the local newspaper where I lived in Palo Alto, California that was saying, Hey, the local swim team is having tryouts. And my mom goes, why don't you go to that and just, you know, give it a try, see what you think. And I thought, I can't, I can't even swim one lap. How am I going to be a, a, on a swim team? And so anyway, I went and I actually, you know, jumped in the pool and I swam like four laps and I was like, wow, you know, pretty impressive, huh? You know, a whole hundred. And, um, anyway, so I ended up swimming from the time I was 10 competitively all the way through college, but I was kind of a shrimp, you know, I mean, not, not that I'm huge now, but when I was younger, I was much smaller than all the other guys my same age. And I, between that and just, I don't have the, the genetics, the genetics to be a great swimmer. You know, I mean, you look at Michael Phelps and he has these massive arms and he's got these knees that bend backwards and these feet that are like flippers. I didn't have any of that. <laughs> and so, you know, I was, I was very outstandingly mediocre as a swimmer. I never, I never even qualified for the Olympic trials, forget going to the Olympics. And so, you know, there was, there was never a moment in my swimming days, 12 years that I did it, where I, there was even a, a closest hint of me having the ability to be, you know, one of the best at any kind of sport sport. So fast forward two years after my last swim race as a college student, um, I was again watching television and it was in 1982 and it was uh february we were watching wide world of sports which again was kind of like the the sports program at the time and the the u.s announcer jim mckay was talking about this thing called the iron man you know 2.4 mile swim 112 mile bike ride a marathon and i was thinking how many friggin days is it going to take them to finish that thing and he, he's you know clearly he said they start at seven in the morning and they got to finish by midnight 17 hours later to be an official Ironman finisher and I thought there's no way a human being can do that but clearly you know as I watched these fairly ordinary people cross that extraordinary finish line it's like oh my god this is this is really really unbelievable and about two weeks after that I thought you know what I have to go there and just try that race one time just to see if I can be a finisher and I was 24 years old. I had graduated college. I had a degree in biology, but I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I, you know, I just couldn't find the right avenue to lock into for a career. So I figured, huh, this, <laughs> this is the perfect stall tactic. You know, I'll train for Ironman for the next eight or nine months or whatever, and then, and then I'll get serious about my life. Well, as you know, um, that became my life. Uh, it was. And again, you know, I came from a perspective of like, how can I be world class or, uh, you know, one of the best, or how could I even think about contemplating winning this race? You know, I was going there that first year just to, just to see if I could I'd finish. And I ended up actually surprising myself. You know, I came out of the water right behind uh, this other guy. What was his name? Dave. Dave Scott, that's who it was. And uh, now in 82, he, he'd won the race once and he was hoping to win his second title in October that year. And, um, you know, I came out of the water right behind him 
and we were together on the bike. We made it all the way to Javi in the lead of the race. And so here I am, you know, I mean, picture this, this is my first Ironman ever in my career. I'd only done a couple triathlons earlier in the, in that summer to get some experience. And, uh, you know, I'm with the best dude on the planet at the distance at the time. Right. And we're in the lead of the race and ABC is filming us. And Jim McKay is going to be talking about Dave Scott and this other guy, Mark Allen, you know, when it comes out on, on the, on the program. And I was just, I was practically dizzy from, you know, thinking about that, like, holy shit, you know? And so anyway, we made the turn at Javi and, and I, I could see that we had about five minutes on the next, next athletes, next group of cyclists. And, so, you know, I being kind of a wise ass, I thought, well, let's see, you know, I've never talked to Dave Scott before. Perfect time for an introduction. Right. And so I cycled up next to him and I go, Hey, Dave, uh, when we're done with the bike, you want to go for a run? And he, he looks over at me and he just goes, who are you? And I, I told him my name and he, he said, Oh, I think I've heard of you. And he clicked his bike into a big gear and took off. And so, you know, figured, all right, conversation with the champs over. I clicked my bike into a big gear and I just heard this massive grinding sound. And I looked down and my derailleur had broken off and was on the ground. Dave Scott won his second title that year. I didn't cross the finish line. My race was done just past the, the turn at Javi. But I had been with the best guy in the world for a few hours of racing. And so that was really when the dream was born, like, you know what, maybe if I take my time to develop my skills and experience and fitness as a triathlete, I can be the winner of this amazing race. And it, as you know, it wasn't, uh, it was not a slam dunk one to, you know, come back the next year and do it. It took seven years to get that formula right. But uh, it was really, that was the, the kickoff of the journey. Well, that's, Dave, a, got a that's question? an amazing story. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Mark, we talk a lot on this show when we talk to athletes, and certainly John has inspired me. You know, there's a real balance between the physical and the mental. Um, and can you give us a perspective on both those pieces? I think, you know, I think you have a reputation and, and deservedly so of being mentally so tough, right? Um, you know, talk to us about the physical side and the mental side in terms of preparation and, and how you get through those tough moments, right? Yeah, you know, the longer the race, the more uh, the more you have to deal with yourself. And a lot of athletes just hope that they can deal with themselves when they're in the race, you know, but hope is not a strategy for uh, great performance. It's, you, you have to practice sort of getting into that champion's mindset or that that mind space that is really allows you to just unleash the potential from your training so for sure like you know you could have the most positive attitude in the world but if you haven't done the training forget it you're not going to do well so but if you have done the training and then when the race takes place really the only one of the few things that you can actually control and change in the race is your attitude, your mindset. What, what are you telling yourself or not telling yourself, you know? And so, um, early in my career, I was trying to kind of do the whole thing where, you know, I had kind of, I would visualize the race and which is good, you know, visualize how you want it to be. And I'd have these sort of 
trigger phrases that, you know, I would try to call up in the race when things got tough or when I felt like I couldn't keep going or when, you know, my dream of whatever I was setting out to do on the day looked impossible. You know, I feel light as a feather on the run. I feel like I'm cutting through the wind like a knife or whatever it is, you know, but, you know, let me, I'll let you guys in on a little secret. You see, in the race, when it gets hard and tough and your energy is you're hitting you're hitting the limit of what you can put out first of all it was nearly impossible for me to figure to remember those phrases that i had come up with right and even if i could remember them i didn't believe them for shit you know it's like i feel light as a feather no i feel like i weigh like an elephant and i'm about 100 years old you know this thing this is not working for me and so uh you know go ahead to um 1989 when uh you know that became one of the the classic battles ever with Dave scott and i running side by side the whole day that was that was a year that i i tried something very different uh and i i realized that you know the most powerful place that i had seen my performances come from were when my mind was just quiet when i didn't have thoughts when i wasn't thinking and analyzing it was more like when I was just embracing everything going on, you know, and, and it was so easy for me to get in that space. Like when I raced in Australia, when I raced in Nice, France, when I raced in Japan, you know, everywhere except Kona. And, and I, you know, part of that is because first of all, it has the most pressure of any triathlon on the planet because everybody is at their absolute peak and it's a long day and there's so many, um elements and things that can happen that you never thought you'd have to deal with right and you know you know that you've been there and so part of the part of my preparation that year was you know clearly i had my five or six strategies of how i thought i i could pan the day out to come up with a victory but then i was also ready to uh, manage any kind of race day dynamic that took place that I hadn't even thought of before. And so certainly I had never thought that I would be side by side with Dave Scott, who at that time had won six Ironman titles, that I would be running next to him for eight hours, you know, not in a, a million years that I think that would be a dynamic I'd have to deal with. And you, you have to understand Dave is, he's not somebody that you can intimidate in Kona. You know, when he gets off that plane, He's like a superhero you know it's like he gets pumped up to 100 psi he's like infallible and so running next to him especially on the marathon racing him that day i knew there was no trick or or surge or thing that i could do that would intimidate him and make him give up i just had to had to stick with it and outrace him and that was a very very uh tough thing to have to swallow like okay I've never outraced him here, but today I'm going to have to do it. And so, you know, there were a lot of moments also where I just felt like, I, I don't know if I can keep going and my legs are killing me and I've got blisters and it hurts for my feet to even touch the ground each step. And, you know, most of the time I was able to kind of go, you know, hold it at bay, you know, keep it, keep it in that mind space that uh, you know for uh, for me a champion's mindset space is one where you're steady you're 
flexible. You know, you, you don't care if this is following your ideal plan or not. You're quiet. You're, you're, you stop the analyzing and you just engage. And when you're fully engaged in giving everything you have in this moment and the next and the next and the next, that's when you're really in that flow and time goes quickly. When you start analyzing it, is this good? Is this not good? Should I, you know, when you start thinking that's energy that gets taken away from your physical performance. And so anyway, I kept trying to get back into that space. And there was a point halfway through the marathon where um, he had been kind of surging and backing off and surging and backing off. And there was a point about halfway through the marathon where he put in a surge that dropped the pace down to about a six minute mile. Um, I don't know what that is in minutes per kilometer, but it's freaking fast. And nobody had actually run that fast in the, in, in the marathon before there. And this time he didn't surge. He just held it. And he was building on that pace. I'm like, shit, he's going to run a six minute pace for the closing 13 miles of this marathon. And it completely blew my mind. And then all that garbage came in and I couldn't keep it out. You know, like, ah, Dave, he's so strong. You know, I, I can't win. I've been here. This is my seventh time. I shouldn't have come back. He's going to get another one. And wow, you know, I was like, wow, wow. I was, I was whining and feeling sorry for myself. And I was in so much physical pain. Finally, it got so difficult to match his pace that I it was eventually my mind just completely went quiet because I had to put every ounce of energy into just staying with him because it, the way the dynamic was that day, you know, if if I lost, you know, a meter, that could have been the race right there. And in the instant, my my I finally got my mind back to just being quiet. There was this transformation that took place. Let me take you back two days before the race. I was sitting in my condo along Elite Drive and just flipping through a magazine and not really paying attention to anything that was in there. I was just trying to stay relaxed and sort of take my mind off of what was coming in two days. And, and till one page caught my attention and it was an advertisement for a workshop that was gonna be taking in place, teaching about a very traditional way of life from a traditional people in central Mexico called the Huichol people. And I didn't really know what, who the Weechols were. I didn't know it was, it was a workshop on shamanism. I didn't know what shamanism was. Um, and there was, there were two gentlemen who were going to be leading the workshop, two shamans or uh, medicine men, I guess you could say. One was a 110 year old Weechol uh, healer, Don Jose, and the other was his adopted grandson, Brant Secunda. And they, I was looking at these photos of these two guys who I'd never seen or heard of, and they both had this look on their face that was very peaceful, yet very powerful looking. And as you know, you know, when you're in that, that sweet spot in a race, you have both of those qualities at the same time. You feel this sense of peace, almost like a, just this beautiful surrender saying, I'm going to just do whatever it takes. And at the same time, you feel that, that strength or that power or that, sort of, I guess you'd say, confidence in your ability to really, really give everything you have. And, you know, in the race that day, I had felt that strength part, and sometimes I'd felt the, the peace part, but I never got them both in the same place. Anyway, going back into that moment where Dave is, all of a sudden I'm realizing he's dropped the pace down to six minute miles and he's not backing off. My mind goes crazy. Finally, it gets so difficult to stay with him all thought stopped. And in the instant my mind went quiet, that picture of Don Jose that I'd seen two days earlier came back to me. 
And it's like, I could just see him and feel him. And I felt like I was getting this energy from him because he had that peace and that power in the one place. And um, all of a sudden I could feel it in myself. And I just felt this, it was like a cloud lift and it just went, and I felt this ease come over my pace. And, you know, my legs still hurt. The blisters still hurt. I was still hot. There were still 13 miles to go. Dave was still holding that incredible pace, but I eased into it. And all of a sudden, everything started to work and to flow. And all of a sudden, all of the seven years of preparation and training and, and the, the hard journeys that I'd had in the six previous Ironmans where things did fall apart. And I ended up walking on the marathon, even when I was leading I knew this was going to be different. And a little while later, it hit me. I can win this. I really can win it. But that's when I had, <laughs> I had this ridiculous battle with myself because on the one hand, I knew I could win. But on the other hand, my legs and feet were killing me so bad, I didn't know if I could take another step. So I'm like, I know I can win this, but I don't know if I can keep going. I know I can win it, but I don't know if I can keep going. You know, and you know, you... Just because you know you can do something, you have to actually still go out and do it all the way to the end. You have to take every single step toward that dream. You have to take every painful thing that you need to do to be fulfilled with that total experience that you're going to have at the end of the day when you cross the line, fulfilling that dream that you would had had for seven years. And uh, I was able to actually eventually pull away from Dave, as you know, on the last long uphill before you drop down the steep Polani Road hill into town and do the last stretch to the finish line. And um, I, I surged at the bottom of the hill and started to put a gap on him. And you can see it in the, in the TV footage. All of a sudden, I'm pulling away from him on the part of the course where he was historically the strongest of anyone. And you can see it completely blew his mind. And all of a sudden, he was having to deal with fear and you know this dynamic that he had not expected to have happen and his shoulders come up and he starts to rock and everything fell apart in his form uh i made it to the top of the hill with a gap the gap even actually grew on the downhill and when i got down to the flat and made that left hand turn uh get going toward ali'i i knew that i had it there was nothing that was going to prevent me from winning the race and so that last stretch coming down Elite Drive is, as you know, it's it's just this incredible experience because there's thousands of people cheering and all day long, especially that day, I had had to hold my emotions into this very checked place so that I didn't get too excited when I felt good and when I felt lousy, it didn't it didn't drag my mental mental attitude down. And so all of a sudden, when I hit Elite Drive and I'm running along it. And, you know, everybody's cheering. And, and I could tell they knew that my journey was not one day, that it was seven years to get me to that point. And they were sharing it with me and cheering me on. And, uh, you know, that uh, I mean, the tears were coming down my face and I had this big smile. And, uh, you know, that's that was it. That was the first of six. Uh, wow. One of the things that popped wow. out for me, Dave, and thanks for sharing, Mark, this, this connection as a young person and how that dream started. So back to you, mum saying, why don't you go and try the swim? And, you know, you do. And then you see, you know, you have ABC uh, Wild Water Sports in the US. Back here we had kind of Channel 9, similar in terms of, wow, there's actually an event that happens that these people push themselves through. And then ultimately, um, 
to your point, winning the winning the complete event. There's a nice piece about dreaming and how uh, the people that we love and care about, mums, dads, you know, can help support and nurture the journey. And and you shared the highs and the lows of uh, all your times of participation. Um, another question for you: You seem to have had this beautiful balance between knowing when to switch on and to switch off. Um, not always switching on to go for other bike rides with people or other runs that, you know, they want to push you because, you know, you're who you are. How did you find that ability to go, okay, I know, is it just you being so in tune with your body to go, today's the day I turn it on and the next day is the day I turn it off to find that balance between rest and recovery? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, anybody can train hard, but not everybody has the patience to recover from it. And that's, as you know, that's when you get stronger. You know, you don't actually get stronger during the workout. You get stronger when you recover afterwards and absorb the the, the benefit of it. And so I it, it took a while to find that though, because, um, you know, I was living in San Diego in the winters in Boulder, Colorado in the summer. So there were, there were, there were world-class athletes that I could train with day and night. And I had to kind of, put the reins on a lot of times and say, okay, I'm just not going to go out with those guys today because I need to go easy or go moderate. And I know that they're going to go hard. And so I, you know, I sort of picked and choose when I did those, those group workouts and used them, what I, what I thought to a great advantage, you know, when you're with your, when you're with a group, it's, it can be like a mini race in the sense that you may not always be feeling good when the other person or the other group, other folks in the group are feeling good, which forces you to rise up above your not feeling good feeling, which is something that you have to do all the time in a race. So it's great practice for um, racing, but at the same time, you ultimately only want to race on race day. You don't want to be racing in your workouts. And so even, even the, the people that I ended up sort of, uh, creating these very tight knit, uh, training groups with, they were people that we could go out together and we could go hard together and we could go also easy together. And if one of us was feeling good and the other one wasn't, it was like no big deal, you know, but, and the people that were the worst to train was, were, were the ones that they wanted to beat me on race on training day, because if they can beat me on that training day, they're going to beat me in the race. And so, you know, I wanted to save that racing energy and that, it takes a lot, as you know, you know, to uh, manage that competitive mindset of your of your competitors. And so I wanted to save that for race day. So that's that's kind of how I did it. And, you know, I didn't always get the formula right. You know, there were periods where I got overtrained and, you know, I was like seeing double and I have to you know take it easy for a couple of days. But I was pretty good at trying to nip it in the bud quickly so that I didn't get into a serious overtrained state that would take weeks or months or that would end up with um, any kind of injury that would actually prevent me from training. Because if you're injured, you are not training. And if you are not training, you're not getting more fit. And so that was that was kind of one of my bottom lines. It's like when I'm starting to get little niggling aches and pains, that's it. My body has been given more um, demand that it, than it can keep up with and recover from. And so regardless of whether I had a huge workout planned or not, if I started to get to that point, I had to back off and I knew it. So it was like a, a short-term back off for a long-term long -term gain in, in being able to stay consistent with my tra training throughout the year and throughout my 
15 years uh, career. Yeah, I, I have to thank John for those kind of wisdom words as well. I was just new to the sport and, you know, I hadn't even done a triathlon when I met John and, um, you know, ended up doing the Noosa Heads try as my first triathlon, you know, and then, you know, I got in a bar with John one night and all of a sudden we're challenging each other, swim the channel, do a, do Hawaii and the rest is history. But uh, John told me like, just word, best advice, listen to your body, right? Just like it'll, it'll give you signs when you're overtrained or you're about to have a serious injury. And there's been a number of times where, you know, I personally have like tried to push through it and torn a hamstring or, you know, just, you know, just got into a really debilitating injury because, you know, your body tells you stuff and you just, you know, for sheer grin and determination, you kind of override that, but you only do that once or twice. And then you say, yeah, I'm going to listen to myself because you're right. Injury is not, a, not something that you want to deal with on a, on a, on a training program. Mm. Hey, Mark, the other one I wanted to touch on was you, you've also found this beautiful balance between uh, aerobic fitness, but also the strength to support. So you, you would know a lot of athletes get stuck on the, it's always the swim, the bike and the run. And you being able to find that beautiful balance still today, um, as, as I see, between, you know, taking some time out to build strength in those muscles to help uh, help those muscles in, you know, both uh, Olympic distance right through to Ironman. Can you kind of touch on the balance between the aerobic component versus the, um, the resistance or weight component? Yeah, you know, strength training is, it was foreign to me. I didn't know really anything about it in the earlier part of my career, but right about my early thirties around, I don't know, 33, 34, I could see that it didn't matter how much I would swim, bike or run that, that I didn't have the same strength and power that I'd had in the earlier part of my career. And so, you know, I thought, okay, I got to suck it up and really start to do some strength training. And so I, I don't know if you have them in Australia. We have these gyms, Gold's Gym. You know, it's like where all the all the big moose muscle heads go, right? And so I, there was one right near my house, and I would go down there. I went down there a couple times, ready to go in and, and you know, do some strength training. I had no idea what I would, would do when I got in there anyway because I didn't know anything about it. But I'd, go, I'd get to the door, I'd open the door, and I'd look in, and I'd see these just gigantic, massive dudes hurling these huge amounts of weight around and I'd look at their body and I looked at my body and I'm like, I just turned around and went, went home. It's like, I was totally intimidated. And so eventually I was introduced to a, a woman that, that was actually a real encyclopedia of strength training. And she led me through an entire season of just doing a full body strength workout twice a week, different kinds of phase phases throughout the year. So that, so that it matched what I was doing in my, you know, base period, some bike run and then speed work and tapering all that. And the first year that I did a, a full season of strength work along with my swimming, biking and running, uh, it was in 1990, uh, 1993. And I won the, the Zofingen duathlon, the Nice international triathlon and the Ironman in Hawaii. And they, they called those three, the triple crown of multi-sport. And I'm the only person to have won all three of those, uh, and, and to do it in, in the same year was pretty amazing. And, and it really was because of the strength that I gained. And so anyway, you know, I continue strength work now. I'm 63 and it's an absolute um, essential element of, you know, staying fit and healthy and keeping my 
joints working right and and having resilience and being able to get out there and do all the sports that I love to do. So, you know, a lot of triathletes do overlook strength training. They get so busy with their others, the three sports, and they kind of put that low on the priority list. But in my opinion, it should be flip flop because you really only need to do um, basically two days a week of strength work if you do it well, you know, and actually really lift weight. Um, but the benefits are absolutely huge. And, and looking at you today, Mark, uh, what do you, do you still obviously do swim, bike, runners? I mean, you look like you keep yourself in good nick. Is, I, I know you're a world-class coach and, you know, people can access you online and we'll kind of touch on that at the end. But um, are you still swimming, biking and running? Um, I, my go-to now is surfing. You know, I, I did that when I was a kid. I'm, I'm, I'm no... I'm no Kelly Slater, you know, I'm no Mick Fanning. I'm just like your average dude, but I absolutely love it. And I, I live in Santa Cruz and I'm, I'm two blocks from one of the main breaks here. And so I can just throw on my wetsuit, paddle out, you know, get an hour in and it feels great. It's, you know, it's, it's my cardio, it's my yoga because I'm moving in every direction. It's my stress release, relief, you know, just being in the ocean and having time in nature. It's my uh, time with, with, with community, you know, the guys that I know out there in the water and we all just BS and give each other a hard time and it's great. And, but in addition to that, I do, uh, still do, uh, some running. I also do actually, I've incorporated, um, some walking into my, uh, exercise. I found that interestingly, you know, when you're walking, you're, you're moving just a little bit slower, obviously than you do when you run. And so you can actually be more conscious of, how everything in your body's working and moving your feet, your ankles, are you articulating your feet? Are you balanced or are, is, are you favoring one side? And it's really been a, a great addition to what I do. I also, um, I do a, a group ride on, on Zwift once a week, uh, every Tuesday evening at six California time. So that would be Wednesday, your, your time earlier in the day. But anyway, um, so I, I, I mix it up and I think that's, that was a key to that's a key to triathlon and why triathletes don't get injured, let's say, as much as runners, because we are mixing up what we're doing. And so you're you're always moving in different directions and using different muscles. You're never really like digging yourself into this rut of when you're doing one sport specific sport. And so I I continue to do that now with just staying healthy. And as you know, life fitness and peak performance are two different worlds and so right now i'm definitely on the life fitness end of things i just want to sort of hopefully push that physical slide in life out as far as i can you know and so in 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 uh honoring that goal or that quest i i don't do anything super long i don't do anything super hard and intense you know i keep everything fairly moderate and i really do uh i really attend to that thing that you asked about earlier about recovery you know and, and just making sure that whatever i do today it it stimulates my body to get stronger but at the same time i know that tomorrow i'll be able to get up and do something also so mark uh, i really love the story about the magazine you read two days before the race did you ever go do that work workshop or did you ever follow up with the shaman of mexico I did actually, I, shortly after the race, I went to that workshop and, um, Brant Secunda was leading at Don Jose actually died just before the workshop. I guess he figured 110 was pretty good, you know, time to go. 
But anyway, um, it was an amazing transformational experience for me. I just felt like, uh, you know, the, the Weichel tradition is very, they place an emphasis on developing a relationship with the spirit of nature. And as, as triathletes, we all know what that's like. You know, we love being outside and taking in the air and running on trails and just taking in the beauty of nature. And, and human beings are hardwired to feel good when they're outside and in nature. It's one of the best ways to reduce your stress. Just go outside, go for a walk, look at the greenery, you know, breathe in the air, you know, be aware of the seasons and what's going on all around us. And so anyway, um, I've actually studied with Brant now for over 30 years, and he and I developed a fit, uh, program together called Fit Soul, Fit Body. And we have a book, Fit Soul, Fit Body, Nine Keys to a Healthier, Happier You. And in that book, uh, each one of the keys is, it's kind of like the, the the roadmap that I use to actually become an Ironman champion. We, we address things like quieting your mind, like uh, knowing and setting your quest, like not necessarily sort of a, business plan for your life, but more like, why, why do the things that I'm putting a lot of energy into have importance and meaning to me? You know, what am I trying to give from these journeys that I'm on and what am I trying to gain from it? And, you know, also one of the keys is slow down to get faster. Having that balance of aerobic and anaerobic uh, stimulation to your body so that we work with our genetics of how we're hardwired. We are the best endurance animals on the planet. We are meant to go steady and long. You know, we're we're far from the fastest animal on the planet, but we can run farther longer than than anything. And um, so, anyway, it's he. Brant was a, a very he was very instrumental in um, keeping me not only healthy but getting me in that right mind space. Um, you know, when, when I was racing to just get into that very quiet space that is really just trusting in life. And, you, you know, I could, when I f won that first Ironman, I looked back and I thought, oh, why couldn't I have won it, you know, the, the first or third or fourth time? Why did I have to go back seven times to get it right? And, but I can look back and, and realize that there were, there were so many things I learned from the difficult moments that I then was able to put in play in all the races in Kona where I won. And had I not had those learning experiences, I wouldn't have had the tools to be the champion six years in a row. And so, you know, that's something that Brant really emphasizes that in the moment, we might not know why something's happening and we may never really know, but ultimately um, trust because everything is for a reason. Everything is turning out the way it's supposed to and to just really stay engaged with life and, and be thankful for it. Hey, Mark, I wanted to start to wrap up. We've added to my book list. Sorry, Dave, just wanted to ask about uh, Matt's, um, obviously coming from uh, parents in the sport. Um, how's Matt's going and what, what's he doing with, with himself, your boy? Yeah, he's, uh, he's 27. He's done a lot of... Um, He's a millennial in the sense that he likes to experience a lot of different things. And so he's, you know, in high school, he played water polo. He ran cross country, he swam on the swim team. Uh, a couple of years ago, he, um, he hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, which is a trail that follows the mountain ranges all the way from the Canadian border to the Mexican border. And it, it's uh, about 2,300 miles. It took him four months, hiked it all, almost all by himself. 
all but just a s small segment in the Sierras where a buddy has joined him. And so that was very transformational for him to go for a four month walk, basically, you know, and being out in nature and just experiencing it and seeing, you know, the entire mountain range that goes all the way down the West coast of, of the U S here. And then after that, he thought, well, I got to do something else. And so he'd always wanted to do an Ironman to kind of see what it was that, you know, we did. And so he, uh, he went to, uh, Ironman South Korea, did, did the race, ended up winning his age group, which qualified him for Kona. So he came back that, that was in September. So he qualified for the following October. And so he, um, came back and, uh, did Kona the following October, had a great swim and bike. And then halfway through the run, his nutrition just stopped working and he completely ran out of gas and it was really hard for him. I mean, he got to the finish. That was not the day that he'd hoped for. It was really intense. As you know, you know, when things go wrong out there on the marathon, it's not like they went just a little bit wrong. <laughs> they go like way wrong. You know? And so I, you know, I, I said, well, it would have been great if everything had just gone the way you'd planned. But in another sense, you got a real Ironman Hawaii experience and you saw just how difficult that day can be. Um, but his, yeah. his sport of passion is rock climbing. He's climbed out in, in Yosemite a lot and all, just a lot of different places. And, and he surfs too, you know, so he's always, he's always awesome. got something up his sleeve. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just before we uh, wrap up, Mark, uh, I'm loving Denver, Colorado. And to what you said earlier, I'm just, uh, you know, loving the outdoors here. I tackled uh, a couple of the 14ers uh, last summer and uh, I'm planning, you know, uh, a pretty hefty gravel bike slash hike across 15 of those mountains this summer and we'll see what happens. But uh, it's just such beautiful air and and topography and and seeing the sunrise on top of a fourteen thousand foot mountain here in colorado is just there's probably not much better than that so if you ever get back to boulder i'd love to catch up it's a fun place that's that's any great. any last questions before we wrap um questions um no I'll maybe a statement if that's okay um, there's, there's a beautiful piece, I think, for all of us when we look back on all of our journeys. And as you mentioned, Mark, uh, no one gets that golden ride to, you know, get it right. It's, we often have to get it wrong to get it right. So that's a really good point that, uh, that you made. And I think the importance for the people that are tuning in, you know, obviously, there's the still COVID. COVID's not disappearing. COVID's still around for many of us and maybe for some time. So I think from Mark and David's perspective, it's really important to know to take time out uh, to reset, regroup. Um, and I like, you know, both those examples of, you know, David chasing uh, Fortinas or um, Leadville and, and Mark's experiences. I find a lot of joy by being still. There's obviously times when I love to move, but there's also times when I love to stop and be still and either meditate or, you know, go to the ocean or, you know, go out in the green. So I think for, it's not always about winning races. And I think some of the takeouts from today, Mark, just the importance of finding that balance between switching on and switching off um, and being and being in the moment. So thank you again for allowing us to spend some time with you and to gain some of those beautiful insights. It's been a, a true privilege to watch you and, and now to call you a friend. So thank, thanks for joining us. Yeah, and I, I just have to add, you know, Kona, Ironman, there's been so many memorable experiences that I've personally had and that I've, that I've seen and witnessed. And, you know, for me, 
one of the, it was the uh, most amazing moment that I have ever witnessed um, was watching you get up out of the chair and walk across the stage. You know, that, that there was, there was not a dry eye in that audience. You know, it's like, that was, that was really something and that will always touch me. And, and it's very emotional even just thinking about it, you know, and, and, and I'm sure it had to be an incredible um, experience and obviously journey for you when that happened as well. Yeah, it, it was a real, you can imagine, you know, again, as a little boy watching uh, Wild World of Sports and watching you and others and, you know, finally having that opportunity. When, when David spoke of that induction for me, which I was very honoured, very, very honoured to, to join the club and David doing the introduction and then being invited back to, uh, you know, to, to have that moment. And you can imagine, Mark, I was like a leaf. I was so nervous and so, you know, anxious and not wanting to fall over. And, um, you know, it was a really special time. So, and then to connect with you uh, after that, and you might recall one of Babbitt's questions was, um, you know, what do you have for the first timers? And it was like, don't follow someone else's plan, follow your own, listen to yourself. Uh, and then he said, mm -hmm. you know, what's next for you? And I said, I want to go back and finish the triathlon that I was training for. Um, 26 years later, and David was there to help us to do that. So triathlon and Ironman have been such a huge part of my life. And I, I wear this shirt today in recognition of you with the Ironman logo. Um, so, you know, it was really special. And to, to call you a buddy today is, is a real privilege. So um, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, so, guys. Mark, last question. Who do you think uh, you should uh, propose to John can chase him down and get him on the show? So a few people have said, get Mark Allen. We've got you. So who's next? Well, have you had Dave on there? Not, Not yet. yet. Dave Scott, sounds like he's... <laughs> Got to, got to well, get inside uh, of this. He, he's done okay. okay, hasn't he? That's great. Yeah, he did pretty good in his career, you know. <laughs> that guy at the start, Dave, Dave, somebody. Okay, well, uh, I'm, just surprised, Mark, I'm just surprised, Mark, on that run that you didn't say, hey, Dave, after the run, do you want to go have a beer? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, on, on that run, uh, I probably would have fallen fell over if I tried to talk. So, you know, I was, I was running that red line for basically the entire day. And so that was, uh, there was no wise ass comment coming out of me on that, that marathon. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, on that note, Hey, Mark, thanks so much. Uh, great words of wisdom. Uh, I can't wait to actually look at this one again and just listen to it over and over. I mean, there's so many great learnings that you've, um, you've given to us all. So thank you for that gift. John, thank you, mate. Uh, enjoy that rest of the day there in sunny Sydney. And uh, from David, from Mark, from John, thanks for tuning into OK Boomer. Subscribe, share, and uh, you know, let's get the inspiration out to everybody who needs it. And as John said, you know, COVID has its challenges. And uh, be be peaceful with yourself. Enjoy the outdoors. Get lots of energy, and and do good for the world. So appreciate everybody. Have a great day.